Are you enjoying the sun? Something's really gone badly wrong with the weather. Clearly, no one has told the weather that it's the start of Wimbledon tomorrow because it's not raining. It's sunny. What is going on? My, my best ever job, being, being as old as I am, which is really quite ancient now, um, I've had a load of jobs in my life. My, my, my favourite job which I'll, I'll tell you about another time, it was when I put up marquees for a, a whole summer. Uh, I was a teacher for a while and I was desperate to get out of, God bless teachers, God bless teachers, uh, but I was desperate to get out of, out of being teaching and I went and put up marquees for nine months, which was the best ever job I've ever had. I got paid in cash. It was brilliant. Um, but my second best job was working at Wimbledon because I went to, to college in South London and all the colleges in South London basically provide the, the working staff for the Wimbledon tennis tournaments. So uh, I was a, a court coverer for a, for a while. You know the guys who pull over the when it, when it rains, which it usually does, pulled over the courts and then if you've ever been to Wimbledon now, you pull them over and then they kind of inflate them. They, they've got air that, that inflates in, into them. And uh, what I loved was the persistence. If it, if it rained and we had to, basically as a court cover, you only want one of two things. You want it to be sunny all day, because then you take the covers off once and you never have to bring them back. Or you want it to be wet all day, so that you just leave the cover up. And I, I just used to love the persistence of, uh, of some of the guys who, who came to visit and were walking around when we put the covers. So we'd put the covers on and then we'd blow them up and they'd make these big balloons. And then we'd go inside and we'd play. We'd play tennis and touch rugby and stuff like that. And occasionally we'd pour water on the baseline so that they couldn't play on that court and we'd go home early. Um, that was before I was a Christian. <laughs> I have repented. <laughs> True story, actually. Court 13. Um, anyway... <laughs> We had a really good party to go to, so the, it was already a bit damp. It was too damp for play, so we just put a bit more water on the baseline. And when the umpire came along, he went, oh, no more play on that one today. It's true, I'm afraid. Pre-Christian. But we would put the, we'd, we'd put the thing up, and we'd be just mucking around inside because it was warm. And these poor people wandering around in the rain, you know, would come and knock on the door of this inflatable and they kind of go, are, are they playing in, inside? Are the players playing inside? And we'd, we'd kind of go, well, yeah, they are. We're not allowed to show you though. The rules say that we're not allowed to show you. And they were so, oh, please, let us come in. Let us come in and watch the players playing their persistence in the rain was just extraordinary. It also taught me, uh, taught Wimbledon, working at Wimbledon, taught me um, the handshake, the handshake truth. Because I, I was a security guard as well. I did a year as the court cover, and then I was a security guard. And because I was a college student, and I, I could read and write, they put me on the front gate of Wimbledon. It's absolutely true. I was the night security guard uh, at Wimbledon. And uh, that was great. We had one guy who was so upset that he was working at Wimbledon, he used to put his radio on and just make chicken noises for about half an hour. Literally, the whole, every radio of every security guard in Wimbledon. This is, they're not like it now. It's really well organised. This is back in the day. And all you'd hear on the radios across the entire security system of Wimbledon was... Brrr. 
And we had, a, we had a Scottish supervisor who, after this, used to go on for about 10 minutes. He'd come on the radio, I know who you are! I'm going to... Anyway, in a Scottish accent. This is not where I imagine going tonight. There will be a point. The handshake game, yeah. Um, who's ever shook hands with someone from the royal family? Just, just put your hand up. Have you ever shook hands with someone from the royal family? Okay, so Jamie, who have you shook hands with? Princess Margaret or someone? You really, that's not great. That's Princess Margaret or someone. Yeah, Princess Margaret. Short, a bit of a hair, a bit of a tiara. That was a giveaway. Long dress, throne. No, no, that's the queen. So do you see what I mean? Who, who would you most like to encounter and shake hands with? Who would you most like, right now, if you think about the person in the world who you'd most like to shake hands with, I reckon you could shake hands with them in three, automatically. Because if you shake hands with Jamie, he shook hands with Princess Margaret or someone, she has shaken hands with the Queen, and the Queen has shook hands with everybody in the world. Or if she hasn't, she shook hands with Nelson Mandela and he has shaken hands. Do you realise that? You can shake hands just from what... Why don't you shake hands with the person beside you? And I bet you're going to put yourself one closer to an encounter with the person you would most, most like to meet. We're... Uh, I, I'm going to bring those things together, I promise you persistence, and who would you most like to shake hands with? We're, we're talking about encounters with Jesus. We've been doing this series for a little while, if, you, if you're joining us. And uh, I, I wonder if you realise that you are less than one handshake away from Jesus. I, I just wonder if you're here tonight, and you might kind of think, well, if I shook hands with um, Nick, because he's clearly very holy... That would kind of give me that would kind of give me Jesus in 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 two. You know, I shake hands with Nick. Nick is you know close to Jesus, so I get. I wonder if you know that every single one of you, every single one of us, is less than a handshake away from encounter with Jesus. We've been we've been looking at some of the encounters he had when he was here on earth, when Jesus was in human form, God in human form. And we've been looking at those and saying, what do we learn from those encounters about the way that he wants to encounter us? And also how we might share the good news of Jesus with other people. And today's is a really odd one. I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever bought into the kind of Jesus, nice guy, beard, sandals, always very kind to people. Because so many of Jesus' encounters in the Bible are really odd. That's, that's something we've been noticing. They're, they're unusual. There's something going on. And tonight's is really a bit of a challenging one because it's almost like, when, you, when we read it, it's almost like Jesus is downright rude to the person who comes to him. We weren't always, in Wimbledon, completely the kindest of people to the tourists who knocked on the... Well, well, in tonight's story, it seems or could appear at first that in this encounter, Jesus basically uses a racial slur against the person that he encounters. 
Let, let's put it up on the screen. And let's have a look together. It's Mark chapter 7 and verse 24 to 30. And if you've got a Bible, why don't you switch it on or open it up or whatever you want to do. You'll get so much more out of Scripture if you open it and actually read it and look at it. So I really encourage you. There's some spare, spare Bibles around at the front. We do believe that, that God's Word is the living Word of God. So we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired it when it was written. And we believe that, that God's Word is inspired into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. As we read, that's why we open our Bibles. So Jesus left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and he did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek. Born in Syrian Phoenicia, she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. If you don't notice that it's odd, then haven't really noticed at all. If you don't notice that it's a bit odd that this woman comes to Jesus, she's clearly in trouble, she's, she's desperate and she asks Jesus and his reply is, well isn't it, isn't it rude? Isn't it potentially a racial kind of slur? You know, he's saying to this person who's a Greek, Mark, makes it really clear, this, this encounter, we read it in Matthew as well, he makes it really clear that this woman who he's talking to um, is, is a Greek-speaking woman, a Greek-origin woman, and it's kind of like he's saying, well, you're like a dog. It's a really odd encounter, isn't it? Mark tells us, you know, let's try and understand this. He says that what Jesus has done, and he's been doing this a while, and when we've looked in our encounters, we've noticed it before. Jesus has been moving between Galilee, his home territory, his home turf, and he's been going into areas that are not Jewish, into Gentile areas. So we've noticed him in some of the encounters doing this. And what we've noticed and what, what Mark and the other gospel writers have drawn out for us is that, that when Jesus goes outside of his own home territory and goes into foreign lands, when he goes outside of Jewish lands, actually quite often the reaction he gets, the response he gets, really throws up for us and helps us understand more about who he is than actually what happens when he's in his own home turf. 
Mark tells us, doesn't he? Let's put it just up again, uh, the first slide of that reading, please, Hudson. Mark tells us that he, he withdraws, that he goes away. Sorry, Matthew's gospel, um, when instead of Jesus left that place, says that Jesus withdrew. This is another theme that's kind of been in the gospel stories as we've read through the encounters, that something about the pressures of ministry, something about wanting time on his own, needing, needing that space, and we've talked about that before for us, needing space to be alone and in solitude and, and to grow was true for Jesus. But, but, says Mark, he was rudely interrupted. We're actually told he goes into a house and almost to hide away from the crowds. He's got the pressure of the crowds who, who are onto him and wanting signs and they're wanting wonders. We were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. And so Jesus goes into this house to kind of try and hide away. But this woman says no. She but, she interrupts him. And just like lots of the other stories in Mark, there's a, there's a real sense of immediacy. Again, can we just stick it up on the screen, just that little bit of the reading, Hudson, thank you, that first slide. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, this is, this is in the Greek, this is real immediacy. As soon as she heard about him, the woman who had a daughter possessed by a demon come, it comes in. She literally pursues Jesus. Mark's been exploring this little theme about how Jesus can't hide who he is right the, the way through the whole of his gospel. Sometimes people have called this the messianic secret. This kind of idea that the presence of Jesus, the presence of God, the, the who he is, he just cannot hide away. People are, are constantly saying, who is he? Who is he? Who is he? And it can't be hidden. He can't even hide himself. And this woman comes to him. She interrupts and she is persistent. She wants him to cast out a demon from her daughter. David Baker was speaking about this a little while longer, a little while ago, about, about demons. And if you want to watch his talk, it's, it's online. It's brilliant on the nature and reality of demons. Nick actually gave a talk on the Sunday morning on the same topic. I'm not going to say too much about it other than to say, do not be fooled and kidded into believing that evil is some kind of generalised force in the world. In the same way that good has a name, God, evil has a name, the evil one, Satan. Evil is personal and it can be personified. It can be experienced in deeply distressing personal ways now we don't need to give the devil or the or the demons or any form of evil any more airtime than they need or they deserve they have already been defeated the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross is complete and when you come face to face in any sense with evil you can just look it in the face and say Jesus We've sung that this morning. 
the name this evening, the name of Jesus has power. You just send anything that is evil to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. But for those who don't know that good has a name, God, evil can have devastating effect. And that was what was going on in this woman. And his response is so odd, isn't it? Because at first he actually does nothing. I mean, this woman, you know, everything that Mark has written is to tell us how desperate she is, how, how she literally bursts in, bursts at his feet. You know, come on, I need you. I'm desperate. And he kind of says nothing. Turns away. It's astonishing. But not as astonishing as what the woman does. Let's put that second slide of the reading up again. Hudson, can we do that? I know I'm shooting around. The woman was a Greek. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Next one. Lord, she replied. She, uh, she worships him. Have you noticed in some of the other encounters that people say to Jesus, teacher? It sounds good, doesn't it? But you know it's not. You know it's not. Because actually when someone in these days says teacher, they're really kind of saying, um, you've got some really interesting teaching. I, I like this teaching over here. I like this rabbi or this person that I'm followed. But I'd like to hear more of your teaching so I can decide whether or not I think your teaching is correct or not. She says, Lord. She, she doesn't say, as we might be tempted to say in our culture, we doesn't say, well, this bit of Christian teaching, I can hold alongside that bit of teaching, and I like that bit of teaching. I mean, most of the people I meet in the world who would say they're not yet Christians at least believe in a little bit of reincarnation. They don't really like the idea of death, so they'd like to at least come back. Most people I meet, even if they say they don't know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, believe in prayer. They kind of, you know, there's something out there. But what they're doing in our culture, and what actually people in this culture were tempted to do as well, was to say, well, I'd like to take a bit of that teaching and a bit of this teaching, and I'd like to put them together. But this woman who Jesus has just dealt with, it would appear in the most extreme way, she responds by saying, I know who you are. Lord. And we're told she worships him. She falls at his feet. You see, what she actually does is she picks up on Jesus' reply being a little bit of a parable, a little bit of a story illustrating. Because when Jesus uses the word dog, 
It's, the Greek word is actually for little dog. And it's, it's actually referring to the little dogs, the kind of lap dogs that Roman wealthy households had. And it was true. They would hang around the banqueting tables to pick up the crumbs. But Jesus said, first. And it's kind of like this woman who shouldn't get it because she's Greek and he's Jewish. And, and Greeks used to think that they were the superior ones because of Greek philosophy and Greek maths and Greek, Greek science and all of those things. They used to think the Jews were the ones who were the ignorant and the, the uh, superstitious. But she gets it. And she says, okay, you are saying first God's plan is to do something. But then I want to share in it. It's the most amazing spiritual insight. And Jesus' response, this is faith. This is what it means to pursue me, says Jesus, for who I am. Not to pursue me as others have done for signs and miraculous powers just for their own sake. Not to pursue me because you're interested in my teaching. Not to pursue me because you would just like to know if I could have just a little bit of this and then add it to that. But this is what it means to pursue me even when there are barriers. Even when you're a woman who should never talk to a man. Even when you're a Greek who should never go after a Jewish teacher. Even when you have to come and find me in the house. Even when you have to put up with what appears to be my first response to you. I will pursue you because you are Lord. Jesus is our closest friend. He is Less than one handshake away because he grabs hold of us. But he's not just a good mate. He's not just someone you, you call in when you need him. You, you dial up when you need to phone a friend. He is Lord. She gets that. Now, some people have tried to interpret this encounter uh, because they have an agenda to say that Jesus was really taught something through this encounter. It's actually a way of, of slightly reducing Jesus' divinity, in my opinion, by upping the ante in the sense of Jesus' humanity and his limitation, therefore, in what he might know or not know. Some people who are into what's called a kind of progressive kind of interpretation of the, of the Bible, who, who want to say, you don't have to take the Bible literally. What you can do is read the Bible forward and kind of say, well, Jesus, you know, he learnt. I don't believe that's what's going on here. Would Mark have remembered this story and written it down if that's what was going on? I think Jesus knew what was going on in this woman's heart because he's God. And there's an appropriate 
sense of testing of faith. Not to play games with her. Jesus doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. But to give her such a powerful story. Such powerful knowledge of the lordship of Christ. And to teach a bunch of people 2,000 years later about what it means to actually go after God. To pursue Jesus because he is Lord. To pursue him not because of what he can do for you, but of because of who he is. And the result... Well, the result is freedom and deliverance, isn't it? And again, as we've seen in other encounters, it's over time, it's sorry, over distance. Jesus doesn't even need to go and touch the little girl who's affected by evil, who's demonized. The power of God is so great that declare it and there is freedom. Even as he speaks, the daughter is freed. From the power of evil. Here's some things that we could take away from, from this. Hudson, can we just put up the, the summary slide? We're going to land quite quickly tonight. It's an extraordinary faith encounter, much better than my ability to produce a slide. The last word is missing letters deliberately so that you will check it out to read it. The courage to grab hold of God. I, I love one of the images that, that the Bible uses for our relationship with God. Can we put um, the angel of God picture wrestling, please, Hudson? It's about three or four slides down. Thank you. One of a, a constant kind of imagery and through scripture is, is, how, is how God grabs hold of us as we grab hold of him. Now the important thing is that he makes it possible. He makes it possible for us to grab hold of him. I love uh, Psalm 63 verse 8. We can stick that up. Um, I cling to you or other versions actually better than the one that I've quoted. My soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. My soul is desperate for you and your right hand upholds me. You're less than a handshake away from God. Because he's already promised to grab hold of you. Let's put that image up again. The image from, from Genesis of, of Jacob wrestling with an angel of the Lord. Who comes to realise is God. It's such a, an amazing picture, I think. And I, and I know I'm talking to people here who quite literally are wrestling Wrestling to even believe that God is God. Wrestling to, to call Jesus Lord. You, you might be at the point where you're sort of thinking, I could call you friend. Or I, I, I might be at the point where I can call you spiritual guru or spiritual guide. I might be at the point where I want to know what you might be able to do for me. But wrestling with the idea of saying, Jesus is Lord. He's king of my life. 
or you're here tonight and you're wrestling with unanswered prayers. You've, you've prayed stuff. You've, you've said, I'm going after you, God. And come on, you've promised and you haven't answered yet. Well, the Bible says that as, as your soul yearns for God, he is holding you with his right hand. And the imagery is of his strongest hand. That's why it's right hand. Forgive me all the left-handers in the room. You are equally held by God. And Philippians, if we put up Philippians 3, it's the same kind of imagery. Philippians 3, 12. Paul says, I'm going to take hold of that for which, that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he was not bidding to get a like as a friend. He was taking hold of us. And he wants us to share in this Syrophoenician woman's insight, spiritual insight, to get it and to grab hold of God and grab hold of everything that Jesus has done for on the cross. And when we're talking to other people, when we encounter other people, they want the same. They want the same. <laughs> that your friends, your family, the people you're going to see, they're desperate for it to be true. They might not articulate that very easily. They might not put it. But do you also sense that they may have real spiritual insight? You know, lots of people outside of church get this God stuff better than people inside church. Clearly doesn't apply to anyone in this room tonight. But actually there is spiritual insight in so many people. They don't want religion. Religion works like an inoculation. It gives you just enough to put you off God. That's how inoculations work. They don't want religion. They do want a relationship with the Lord of Lords. And they may well have so much to teach us, our friends and others. Put my summary slide up, can you, uh, again. She had humility. If you want the roots... The root to this is her humility. She threw herself at Jesus' feet and she worshipped. That's at the heart of her faith. She had perseverance, as I've already said. She was willing to wrestle and to keep going and to persevere. She wasn't put off by Jesus' first response. I, I don't know. Maybe he had a certain quizzical look on his face. We hear his words. We don't actually. Well, maybe you do. Maybe even now. God is giving you an insight into the look on Jesus' face. Even as he speaks to you now. And then she was able to walk in freedom because of the power of God that is found in the person of God and in his presence. If you're able to, would you like to stand? I, I, I do think, uh, you know, never let anyone old tell you that they actually know more than you do <laughs> we rarely do but we have made more mistakes and you can learn from your mistakes I've already shared a few of mine tonight from earlier in my life one of the mistakes I made for a long time growing up in a, as a, a, a in a Christian household was I 
I really only just treated Jesus, you know, as friend. In, in the sense that I, I just sort of treated him as a friend who I would spend time with when I wanted to spend time with. And I, I, he was so faithful. God is so faithful to, to us. And he was so faithful to me that, that he's been that kind of closest friend. And he's come in and out of my life so many times over, over the years. But it was only really, my life only began to make sense when I actually decided that he wasn't applying, as J. John, a great speaker, said, God wasn't applying for the role of God in my life. God is God. And Jesus is Lord. And my life only began to make sense when I actually declared, okay, that means you're Lord of my time, you're Lord of my money, you're Lord of my thought life when it comes to sexuality, you're, you're, uh, you're Lord of my computer and what I look at or don't look at on websites, you're Lord of my friendships, you're Lord of who I am, you are King. You're not applying for the job, you are the Lord. And I, I, without, you know, I pray not with the slightest sense of the force of my words, but with the, the calling of God. I think he's wanting to say to a few people, do you need to declare that I am the Lord? You know, do you need to cross some boundaries? <laughs> I just really wonder if God is saying that to a few of us. Whatever that means for you, whatever that looks like for you, do not be shaped by me, but only by what God says to you. And it's a big deal, but I'm going to ask you, if, if that is you, and would, would you just come to the front? It's a big thing. Would you let your body physically take you where you want your heart to go? I'm going to invite you to come to the front now. If there's anything about declaring... Jesus as Lord of your life, whatever that looks like, would you just like to come and stand at the front? It's a massive thing to do, massive. But praise God, praise God for you guys. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for having the courage, kind of like courage like that woman had. Come down from upstairs if you want to. First time or the hundredth time. Why don't you just come? Why don't you just come? Here's a moment, here's a moment. Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, thank you. Your work only. God's work only. Wow, he's got his, his hands open to you. Ah, oh, he's smiling. He's looking at you. Holy Spirit, would you come? And you guys just quietly under your breath can just share a prayer if you want to. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. I thank you that means that you have won complete victory over my life. I repent, I turn away from anything that would get in the way of you being Lord of my life. And I invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and to fill me With all your goodness. With all your love. With all of your yes.
come, Holy Spirit. And we're just going to wait a moment deliberately. And you might not have come to the front, but you've shared the prayer. And if you want to let your body in a different way, join in with what your heart is saying, then just hold your hands open. It's not magic, but it's just physically, this is what I want, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.